This is Place Matters, a podcast at the intersection of race, place, and poverty, where we explore the belief that the path towards ending inequity and promoting prosperity is through the work of holistic neighborhood development. Welcome to the final series focusing on one of FCS's three pillars. During this season of Place Matters, we will focus on the pillar of economic development. I'm Sean Duncan, the Director of Training and Consulting for FCS and the host for Place Matters. FCS has a mantra on the walls of our office. We can do hard things. This mantra is there because just about everything we do is profoundly difficult. And it is challenging because the systems and structures were built to create the conditions that we are trying to reverse. In our previous episode, we made the case for doing economics at the scale of neighborhood, being of, with, and for the neighborhood. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of how it does work, we felt it honest and important to start with how it doesn't work. There are sizable barriers that you will face if you choose to join us on the path of holistic neighborhood development. Joining me today to talk about the barriers we are facing when promoting economics at the scale of neighborhood is FCS Director of Economic Development, Jeff Dell. So in the framework of all the all the seasons of this podcast, we always start each season with like the big idea, kind of like what's the core concept of the topic. And then for the next few episodes, we move into, well, how does it actually work in practice? And so when we were <laughs> talking about some ideas for these episodes, you said it would actually be better to call it how it doesn't work. So I love that. And that's what we're going to go with uh, for episode two here is all the barriers that prevent healthy economic development from happening in neighborhoods like historic South Atlanta. So there's a pretty long list. The barriers are not small or few uh, that prevent healthy economic development from happening in neighborhoods. Uh, one of those we talked about in the last episode is around being car-centric in our city design. Say more about why that's problematic mm-hmm. for a neighborhood like South Atlanta. Sure. So, sorry, I'm going to have to tell a story, Sean. Oh, so, you know, come on. To, uh, that's, that's very um, FCS-like to tell a story. Uh, so, I've read a book recently uh, by Rocket Davis called um, Inclusive Transportation. I think mm. that's what it's called. Um, edit that out if I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but she talked about your transportation story, that we all have a transportation mm. story. Okay. Um, and so, you want to hear my transportation Bring story uh, a little bit. So, uh, growing up in a small town, Pennsylvania, um, uh, had a lot of freedom as a kid. Uh, I was able to walk to the edge of the neighborhood and go to the, uh, we had a small grocery store there. We had a pharmacy. May have stolen a few things. Sorry, whoever <laughs> ran that pharmacy. <laughs> really, well, he's getting really paid really back. Positive. He's dealing yeah. with some theft yes, right now. So. <laughs> um, uh, and then, you know, as I get older, we would ride our bikes into town, go to the baseball, call, baseball card store. I'm just telling you how old I am now. <laughs> uh, right, we go to the pizza joint and, you know, we, we get around. And my dad actually is legally blind, so he couldn't drive us around as a kid. But when we had a train. We lived about, you know, 15 miles outside of the city, and there's a train that came right through our town. So we'd hop on the train and wow. remember going to the car show, remember going to Philly's games, you know, doing all kinds of stuff in, in Philly with my dad. Or We rode the bus to the mall. Um, and so, I, you know, at the time, I didn't fully appreciate it. I can appreciate it now. Like, oh, wow, my dad yeah. was able to do stuff with us. Uh, huh. And I, I know I appreciated it then, but I appreciate it more now than 
Um, uh, but I remember, you know, we would play street hockey uh, yeah. in the street, right? <laughs> and like, we were never worried about a car hitting us. We had like we had one person whose job was to yell "car" if a car was coming, right? <laughs> um, uh, but I also, despite of all that freedom, uh, I remember, you know, I got my driver's license. I think. A week after I turned sixteen, mm-hmm. right? The car was still this ticket to freedom, right? Uh, right. Uh, and I very much enjoyed that, and, and was a part of a part of that. But by the time I graduated college and moved here, I was I was wanting to move to a city to not drive. Like I wanted right. to I wanted to get rid of the car, live life without without a car. And I decided I have an idea. Let's move to Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> without ever being here. And all these people leading up to like, oh, Jeff, going to Georgia without a car. You really need a car. I'm like, no, you don't. You're just saying it's that. It's a city. You don't yeah, need a exactly, car. Exactly, right? And so I knew everything when I was 23. I don't know yeah. about you, but when I was 23, I absolutely knew everything, except for the fact that in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia, yeah. Uh, you probably need a car mm-hmm. to get around. And uh, along with that, it began my work with, with FCS and, and thinking about how our systems affect mm-hmm more than just me, right? Right. And then realizing that, man, we have this whole transportation system that's predicated on you have to be 16, you can't be too old, Yeah. you have to be able to afford $10,000 a year at minimum uh, to minimum, have yeah. a car, uh, right? And we, we've just agreed as a society that we're okay with a system. Only that, that class that, of people that, get to participate. Yeah, and, mm. and, and we'll just kind of work around everything else, right? Yeah. Uh, and I just began to see, man, like... Uh, in our neighborhood, there's just so many people, um, again, kids right. um, and uh, older adults, but also people who can't afford who who are left out of our yeah. of, of our uh, society, yeah. right? Like I often say, like, look, you know, when you drive to the grocery store, the parking isn't free. Getting into the grocery store is the cost of your car. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. if you can't afford a car, you don't get to go grocery shopping in, this, in most places wow. in this in this country. Uh, and so. For a neighborhood like South Atlanta that has been left off of the economic map is meant that people have to go farther. Mm-hmm. Um, and going farther in a car can be inconvenient, but it can be debilitating yeah. when you're on the bus or on foot or, yeah. or, or an, a, another way. And so um, I've just watched how our car-centric style development yeah. has just left this huge donut hole. Um, that's changing a little bit, but, um, but still it's, you know, if you don't have a car in Atlanta, your, your life is very, very different and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And it's interesting how interesting is maybe shameful is a better word. The way that those cut out of that system get blamed for their life situation Mm -hmm. for not having more, but it's like, you've cut me off from have being able to access the things that I need and then there's kind of this blame or shame that lands on communities that are experiencing that isolation, um, and it's been deliberately yeah. designed. And I, I mean, and I forget the article, but there's something that came out a couple of years ago where it, if you're born into poverty in Atlanta, you have, I think you have a four percent chance of getting out of poverty. Wow. Yeah. Versus in, compared to cities like Philly or Chicago mm-hmm. or San Francisco or whatever. Yeah. And um, the biggest difference is simply is transportation. Yeah. Like you, li- like you literally you cannot get to stuff here. It is so hard. Mm. Um, and it just shouldn't, again, yeah. it just shouldn't be that way. And I think we should uh, not fail to connect that when we're voting down transportation access increases for public transportation, we're actively harming mm. people. Like we're, we're cutting off their access to opportunity with the NIMBYs, maybe like, I don't want that here. It's like, well, you're, you're, if you're going to donate because you have a heart for people who are you're giving some charities, like 
Actually, if you could just help the systems work for everybody, maybe charity's yeah. not <laughs> wouldn't be what we want, you know. Well, and the, the irony is, so we get people who are locked out of the system, mm-hmm. and yet we have the negative effects of card development here, right? Yeah, I can. We can walk out of this room, and I can walk you to five tow lots. Yeah, right. If Carver Market wasn't here, I couldn't walk you to a grocery store. Yeah, right. I can walk you to. Uh, I can show you where people dump their tires. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, um, because our highways are clogged, cars are getting off of the of the highway and driving through our streets, making our streets less safe. Like, mm-hmm. I have someone on my team downstairs who is a grown woman mm-hmm. who's afraid to cross the street. Yeah. I, I mean, it's unfathomable to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I get why, right? Yeah. But like, why are we okay? If you've seen the speed of the trucks that are coming yeah. down, and for you, would, you would understand why <laughs> yeah. if you've been here. Yeah. Um, and it's just patently absurd that, mm-hmm. we, uh, that we just are okay with yeah. Uh, and some of it is because we don't, so for a lot of people, they don't see that, right? Yeah. Um, if they do drive through our neighborhood, they're driving very fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <point. laughs> and, and, and so we've just been able to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, moving into South Atlanta, for me, just has intensified that uh, already yearned wow. desire to live life without a car because I've seen how hard it is on folks who don't have a choice. For me, it was a choice to give it up, right? Yeah, um, right. But for others, that's, that's not a choice. Um, and. Um, we should build our cities for them just like we do for wow. uh, everyone else. And we've also, so related to this, uh, as another barrier of like land use and zoning, uh, specifically exclusionary zoning that's only for single family housing. How does that impact the, your desire for economic development in South Atlanta that we have so much land zoned only for single family and other land use concerns? Like how does that also come in to negatively impact the neighborhood. Yeah, so our best customer at the store lives within a half mile or mile of the store, um, and there's literally too few people that yep. fit that demographic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you, if you drew a, um, a circle around the store, or you did a radius around the store, and even in that radius, there's only like, uh, a third of the pie where there's actually okay. homes. Okay. Right. Yep. And in that third, like the houses are just so spread out, right? Mm-hmm. And so. I can't attract enough people to come into the store that fit our target target demographic. By definition, only a certain number could live there, and it's not enough people. Because and now our um, our land use and zoning has changed, but for the last eighty years, you could only build a single family house, and if you did anything other than right. that, then your neighbors and the city would say no, right? And so people often talk about a free market, and we should do what the market wants, but like the market doesn't allow us to build no. something different than yeah. single family zoning. It, it is propped up. Yeah by our legal system to yeah. falsely create yeah. demand that literally like there's not another option. Somebody one time was like, what if we did that to uh, not just producers of homes, but producers <laughs> of automobiles where we said, there's only going to be 10,000 cars allowed in this city. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would that do to prices and demand? Like, yeah, that we've artifi- mm-hmm. artificially limited the yeah. number of people. Well, I thought, what if a road only opened up once every 30 minutes? And yeah. only let 30 people through. <laughs> and if you didn't get through, you had to sit and wait for the next 30 minute window, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's where that's our bus system right now. Like, mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. like who's gonna if you have a choice, who's gonna sit and wait for 30 minutes for the next right. bus to come when you just get in your car or go whenever you want? Right. right. Um, uh, but uh, so yeah, so land use it, you know pushes everything farther away. So even if you do mm. want to walk, it's more dangerous, it's less yeah. attractive um, because you do drive to do other stuff. Yeah. Um, then that means you're off. 
you know, five, six, seven miles away, you might go to the grocery store over there. Like it has allowed us to, to live our lives much more expansively, uh, and it was, which I believe we weren't really designed to do. Right? The only reason why we were able to do this is because of this advent of the automobile. Mm-hmm. Like, we used to live life a lot closer together, uh, so we weren't we weren't going to school ten miles away. We went to the freaking school down the street <laughs> that, you could, that you could walk to. But now, how many of us are driven to school by our parents or right. uh, drive our own car to school? Like, and so when everything. Every single trip you do, every place you go involves getting in a car. Mm-hmm. For us to convince you to come down to Carver Market, like it just gets really hard because you're always in a car going somewhere else, and you're most likely going to be near a Kroger or near a Publix. Or mm-hmm. and so for us, for stores like Carver Market to be successful, people have to be out of the car doing other things mm-hmm. so that they're walking down the sidewalk and oh, let me pop in and get yeah. my bananas and my bread for the for the morning or for the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, think about the difference it would make, just the financial impact if on an acre in South Atlanta you could have 100 people versus 12. Yeah. Right. And it's it's fascinating to me, though, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time, living in the neighborhood for a long time. People always say, we want more restaurants, we want more grocery stores, right? And I hear that. But then when new development comes, they decry the traffic yeah. and the people. <laughs> yeah. And like you do realize yeah. that people have to come. The to people keep have the restaurant to come. Open. Now I would argue that like people have to come, but cars don't have to come. Right. But again, we don't allow that to happen. Right. Mm. And so, you know, there's always these memes that go around, you know, Facebook and Instagram that we fool. Yeah. <laughs> Atlanta is not full. I get, we can, so if we, far if from we full. could walk out the door right now, I can show you a little forest uh, yep. across the street. We are not like, full. We are not full. Our interstates we have, are full we of have cars. too many cars. But, 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 but we, you know, so we, in order to bring people in to have restaurants and have um, the kind of life that people want, mm-hmm. yes, you do need more people. But one person does not have to equal one car. Yeah. And for too much of it, that is meant. When, and to then get back to single family zoning, when you've built things that have driveways to park three or four cars, like right. one car has equaled one person in the past. And, this, uh, and the way you describe the limitations of what car, like age and income limitations on car access, single family housing works the same way. There's just a certain level of privilege and wealth that to access. Mm-hmm. There's so many people that just simply get kind of cut out of being able to participate. The single family zoning, I believe, assumes that you're going to drive everywhere, right? Yeah. It may not, may not have started that way, but we got to the point now where that's the assumption. And for me, I think our goal as a society should be that when you walk out the door, you could legitimately ask yourself, am I going to walk there? Am I going to bike there? Am I going to take transit there? Or am I going to drive there? Uh, and when you have that level of options, like you're so much more I mean, free. There is no option. Uh, it is like, one. There is there, which is not an option, right? Yeah, if, it's, right? if it's your only choice, it's not an option. Yeah. And so that's where, and single family zoning prevents, is a huge yeah. barrier. I shouldn't say prevents, it's a huge barrier mm-hmm. to making that um, choice a reality because no one wants to walk through five garages uh, yeah. to get to the, you know, the grocery store or whatever. So. Yeah. Hey guys, just jumping in here real quick with an opportunity for you to bring FCS's principles and practices to your neighborhood. We would love to take you and your local partners through our two-year multi-sector cohort that we call City Shapers. Cohorts launching this year will be partially funded by the Lilly Endowment, so it's a great time to jump in. We have taken three communities through this process already and would love to bring it to you next. Contact us today to learn more at fcsministries.org. Let's 
let's talk about the barrier of the built environment, which it's it's interesting that that I'll talk about built environment factors on healthy neighborhoods with groups who are learning from FCS. But <laughs> when they visit here, and I'm like, let's take a walk, <laughs> and then I'll get them out into South Atlanta, and I'll I'll be be talking or teaching while we're out there purposely knowing they can't hear a word I'm saying because of all of the <laughs> safety dangers and the noise. And I'm like, what are you guys observing right now? And, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, maybe the built environment does matter. So talk about that as a, as a barrier to health for our neighborhood. Yeah. And so we are hemmed in by train tracks and an interstate highway. And so literally when the train is blocked, if you live on the other side of the tracks, you, there's about a mile walk around. Uh, again, and most folks aren't going to do that, right? We are on two state highways, so we're at the intersection of uh, State Route 42 and, what doesn't matter, (laughs) Jonesville Road and McDonough (laughs) Boulevard. Uh, And, you know, uh, so I rode my bike to work yesterday, and it's a lovely bike ride, absolutely amazing, until I got to McDonough Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, cars are flying, and cars are loud and huge, and and it was terrifying. It was just a stark, stark... Um, difference and you literally can't leave or we're hemmed in by it you can't leave the neighborhood without crossing one of these huge barriers yeah. right and yeah and technically legally you're not supposed to cross the road uh if there's if there's not a crosswalk right so like literally if you follow the law uh that you like you can't cross the street uh, because uh, now GDOT has finally put in a few crosswalks. Only took us three years. Uh, it took us three years, <laughs> and we're in a freaking school zone. Yeah. But that's another right. Yeah. But like, and so there's it, it tells you that you don't belong. Yeah, it, it reminds you. You said you don't have to. You, you just stand outside, not say anything, and you recognize that you're. This is not built for you. Mm-hmm. Like we have mm-hmm. built this environment specifically for one thing, yeah. and that's to get cars in and out as fast as you can. And GDOT mm. has actually told us that. We've tried to get GDOT <laughs> to slow down traffic in front of our store. Yeah. But you have high school kids who are walking yeah. in to get their yeah. you know, preschool or after school snack, literally five feet away from a truck going 40 miles an hour. And all it takes is that truck driver to fall asleep, to be on his phone, mm-hmm. to not paying attention, and to accidentally, and, and like, I'm sorry, but yeah. like, the truck's going to win. Yeah. And GDOT says, nope, that road is doing exactly what it's designed for. Wow. We need roads to get p- trucks to where they're going, and if we design them for them to go too slow, that's bad. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's just... And uh, which, which neighborhoods uh, end up being the target of the design of those highways. Sean, why do you ask the question you have the answer to? <laughs> In case it, it's it, not it, obvious. It, yes, it's, it's the wealthy neighborhoods that, yeah. that have no political clout. <laughs> right. Get, uh, uh, well, what's fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, so if you look back at the history of, of Atlanta in the 60s and 70s, right? Like, so obviously we had huge interstates built, but we had some that weren't built. Uh, and the neighborhoods where they weren't built... A, at the time, were the ones that were most politically correct uh, connected. Yeah. And now are the had the highest property values. Right? Yeah. And so yep. where where people were able to stave off having these huge roads yeah. now has, you know, 50 years later yeah. is benefiting from mm-hmm. not having these massive things going yeah, through the neighborhood. Yeah, uh, and you know, uh, there, there's a movie that's been produced about the Green Book, about if you're black and mm-hmm. traveling in the South. There's also something called the Yellow Book, which is the book that designed where all of these interstates and roads would go, and it is not at all uh, uh, subtle of which neighborhoods we're going to be targeted for the most damage from all of that. And we're 
a living example of a historical black neighborhood being targeted yeah. for this. Yep. And what's, what's fascinating to me is what, uh, so there's some stuff that's been there forever, right? Like train tracks have been there for a long time. Right. These roads have been here for a long time. But, you know, there's been things that have been built recently that, you know, last 10, 15 years, last, last 10 months, right, where we've put in these apartment complexes, but they're surrounded by a fence. Right? So I can literally point to <laughs> three or four yeah. properties within walking distance of the store that you, you can make an argument that Atlanta Housing Authority has created a food desert mm. because they put a fence around the property. Because well, there's, right? there's a grocery store right here. Because there's a grocery store half a mile as a crow flies, mm -hmm. but you have to walk out uh, to the main highway, which is the road we're talking about where cars are flying. Yeah. You have to walk Large out trucks. there and then and come up to the grocery store. Now it's over a mile. Um, we just built the Atlanta Beltline. I'm calling out all these people. <laughs> the, uh, and the Invest Atlanta just gave money to a housing, um, a low-income senior high-rise that is a tenth of a mile from our store. And they did not put a pedestrian connection to where people could walk to our store. So now instead of walking a tenth of a mile wow. to, to, to something that's ended a food desert, they have to walk a half a mile on the state highway. Uh, right. And so, and once they get in, if, who, who's going to do that? And no. the minute you get in your car, you're going to go drive down to Publix, which is probably given a tax incentive by our city to be there, to yep. be there. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is now, and that's going to, and, and the city wants Carver Market to succeed. Mm -hmm. Right. But we are literally doing things that prevent. Yeah. Uh, it from succeeding. And the, the problem is that most of us don't even realize it's happening. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like we, it, this is normal. It, it's not because yeah. when you drive everywhere, you just don't see this stuff, yeah. right? And it, going, going a half a mile instead of a tenth of a mile isn't that big of a deal in a car. But I mean, it's literally four times as far. Like a a two-minute walk turns and ten into... Times a, and ten times as dangerous. And ten times as dangerous. And so, um, yeah, it's just um, that kind of stuff. It just drives me mm. absolutely I mean, uh, crazy. That's, that's, I mean, to me, like uh, your conversation with GDOT is that our... Uh, you could say that our, our neighborhoods, our cities are working perfectly, meaning they were designed to mm -hmm. do exactly what they're doing. And so when we see the statistics of poverty or inequality in our cities, we need to not just be asking what generous thing can I give, but which is fine to ask that question. Uh, but to start asking questions, what are we doing as a city or that is or creating these issues by the way we've designed it and the decisions that we're making. And I think that's the, is like, well, we can celebrate Carver market all day long, but if we keep zoning and deciding and investing in things that, create the food deserts, then we're, yep. then we're a part of the problem and, and all that. Um, so there's a, a urban planner who I uh, kind of follow and read, and he talks about the idea of civic economics, which I think connects to our conversation in the last episode about kind of neighborhood level businesses, uh, the mom and pop type stuff that builds social cohesion. And he contrasts that with this like agglomeration economies where we're just like where small banks are now getting swallowed up into the big banks and they get further and further away versus like a lot of small stores on the corner versus uh, one big bank that's really far away, a big store that, that's far away. Um, so this is a barrier that that um, we would say, like when we people see the big box grocery store, we could think, hey, they're solving food deserts now. But you would say, actually, when we do this agglomeration thing where we do the huge ones, we're actually creating the food deserts versus solving them. What, like. Why is that when we get away from kind of the civic level economics to this agglomeration thing? Like, how is that creating the problems we think it's solving? Um, one, we, while food deserts have become a, you know, a huge issue that we talk about now, like 100 years ago, they didn't exist. Yeah. Or, or yeah. they did exist, yeah. they looked yeah. very different, right? And so we have to acknowledge that the idea of a food desert is directly tied to 
our style of development, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. that grocery stores have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and farther away from each other and farther away mm-hmm. from people uh, outside of downtown, outside of away from transit. And so, so when it's when there's big box stores are are the reason mm-hmm. why that we have food deserts to begin with. Yeah, we should yeah. not be looking to them to solve the yeah. problem. Of, of the <laughs> but they donate deserts. leftover food, though, <laughs> they Jeff. Do, they, sometimes <laughs> they do donate leftover food. How kind of them? Uh, yeah. Um, and so. Um, if we really wanted to think about how to solve food deserts, it's not about what business model we um, can come up with or, yeah. or and sourcing is an issue, but uh, you can solve that different ways. Uh, it really comes down to how we design our cities. Mm. Right? Like, uh, that, you know, it, again, what you said, they, it's working exactly how it was intended to work. Right. Um, our problem as a society is we've been perfectly okay with that being the, the normal of that being normal that we've been just fine with neighbors being left out right and so again to look at the map right you can see an edge uh, four miles where there's no grocery store right now Publix is a little bit closer but again even at two miles that's not a walkable distance right and all uh, the barriers uh, uh, train tracks yes, etc exactly, that exist right? between uh, that. and so you have this huge gulf uh, that that is that we're in the middle of um, and, and and these stores go to the edge, right? And what they do is they suck mm-hmm. those people, they suck people who can get there away, making it even harder to run a store here, right? So again, if you have a car in South Atlanta, you can get That's the Publix, going. right? Because yeah. they have more selection, they probably have better prices, um, and you know, mm-hmm. what it is, but not everyone has that choice. Uh, yeah. And so the vacuum effect um, yeah. uh, makes mm. it harder to even for us to succeed uh, downstairs because. You know, I can't convince people who have a choice to come to our store because unless they're a really kind pe- person like you, Sean. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, kind is a word that's to, always uh, used um, to describe me, I think. That's yeah. a- <laughs> right? and, and I've watched as we, you know, we give these huge tax incentives still to yeah. these big box stores yeah. to come in. And, and so, and uh, hear me, like the Publix in Summerhill is great. Like people mm-hmm. love it and it's, it's yep. needed and like, uh, but, but the whole system isn't great. Right. right, uh, right. And the fact that, um, it's like playing whack-a-mole, right? Yeah. So that store, sure, solved the food desert in Summerhill and People's Town, but over time, it's going to create a f- desert somewhere else, right? Yeah. You just can't solve the food access issue With big. by 50,000 square foot plus stores. It's just yeah. like, it, it is, again, it's doing exactly what it's designed to do. Mm. Uh, and what we need is smaller stores, more spread out. Publix actually came to us <laughs> and asked, like, uh, "Hey, how do we? How should we support the community?" Like, and they, they wanted to come in and do uh, this, like, you know, give money to all the people who've been doing stuff in the neighborhood yeah. and have this good PR. And I don't know why Joy had me talk to them. It was a dumb <laughs> idea. <laughs> and so I'm talking to this person, I'm like, thinking about, okay, how do you spend so this? So you shouldn't be on a PR team, is what you're saying? Be on a PR team. And so I was like, look, all right. So you really want to be helpful. Here's mm-hmm. what you need to do. You need to open up your your supply chain to all the corner stores that have been here for the last 60, 70, 80 years. Let them buy their milk, their eggs, their bread from you so that people on their block can come get that stuff without having to walk all the way to your store. That would be lasting, meaningful change. Wow, wow. They didn't do that. They did all Wow, oh, I was on the edge of my seat. I, thought, I mean, I no, thought that. No, they, they, gave, they found someone else to figure out Give who to get the checks to, yeah. and uh, they, had, they had their PR moment. Uh, yeah. And again, it's... It, I don't want to come off as, you know, yeah. anti uh, whatever. But I, but. I th- it's like I want to affirm generosity and service and concern for others. But like we've got to also do the work to say, how is the system designed to cause the harm that I'm now giving charity to to absolve mm-hmm. a little bit? And like that's where we need people who are courageous enough, creative enough, innovative enough, whatever the word is that's willing to say, I'm willing to do business differently, not just more charity. Well, and the reality is, I mean – 
there are tons of very smart business people in this world who yeah. solved how to make money, right? Yeah. And they're doing so in a system that was created for them to make money. And so mm-hmm. if we change that system, yeah, they would figure out how to make money a different way, yeah. right? But <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to put it on the owner of Publix yeah. or Chick Fil A to just change their business model. Like, right. You know, there's a Chick Fil A that went in on Boulevard and Ponce, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it for and it's stupid. But like, why we build <laughs> drive-throughs still in the city drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, like, but at the same time, like, no one walks down Ponce, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and they're they're not idiots, right? And and they're not in the business. Like, yes, they can be generous, but they're not in the business of being a charity, right? Uh, and so if we want if we really want to solve this, we have to change the systems and, and allow those business folk to figure out, okay, how do I do business in this new reality? Wow. Which is really an old reality. Yeah. We, we had the way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. We just, you know, yeah. built bigger roads and built bigger highways and, yeah. and built everything for the car, which meant, you know, those business people figured out how to be, even make more money yeah. um, versus stay rooted in their neighborhood. And we just, again, we've not cared about the collateral yeah. damage of all yeah. that. Well, with the, so there are just a few small barriers <laughs> that we've identified, but with, with the size, scale, scope of the challenges, why do you stay in the fight? That's a great question, Sean. <laughs> are you just that stubborn, <laughs> is it? That actually might be it. Uh, it might, stubborn, it might be the, um, no, I mean, uh, I care deeply, obviously, um, about this, and, you know, um, for a long time, and not that my small voice like has any sort of mm. large impact, but but there, I mean, there has to be someone who's yeah. fighting against this, right? And so yeah. uh, it can be incredibly frustrating, and it feels like these huge, um, yeah. huge barriers. But I would say, you know, walking away from work, walking away from Carver Market, knowing that there are sixteen people who can be closer to home, closer to their family. Who are able to, um, you know, if you look at the uh, cost of a car, ten thousand dollars a year, yeah. um, over a forty-hour work week, over 50, 52 hours, uh, um, uh, uh, fifty-two weeks out of the year, that's that's four dollars an hour right? wow. that that we are saving people th- mm. who can walk to work, right? And uh, and all the social connections that come along with that, and so being able to create something small. Yeah. Uh, in the midst of these bigger issues. So if, if I was just focusing on the bigger stuff, if, if my yeah. job was to deal with GDOT, <laughs> I would not be here uh, any longer, yeah. uh, right? Yeah. But as being able to to see some small... That can uh, be and, done. Uh, uh, that can be done. I think sometimes we, we lose perspective on trying to fight the big stuff. Yeah. Uh, so being grounded and being rooted in some smaller things. Yeah. Now, that said, I wish some bigger things would happen faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. I'm not that connected, so I'll, I'll stick yeah. to the making heaven the small one. Getting, yeah. getting the crosswalk after three years, that's my... <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that is one of my favorite uh, walking tours, like when I show this to people and, and tell them like, just the length mm-hmm. of time it took and that the... the uh, the the cross the the cross the road day we had to be able to prove it <laughs> time that people actually oh cross gosh. the road we're all leaving the office to go walk across a road it was just so absurd what is it so so, our, so our listeners can hear this so you understand right yeah. so we are in a school zone yeah so there's literally a high school a quarter mile from us yeah but that wasn't enough to get a crosswalk yeah. what we had to do was and businesses g- being right there and wasn't ever there, right? and a bus stop yeah. a, a public bus stop but uh and gdot was very kind to tell yeah. us what we had to do yeah. but for them to check the box a yeah. part of the system yeah. they had to prove that 
certain number of people cross that road at that intersection yeah. in a day, right? Yeah. And so it was kind of like a nudge, nudge, like, <laughs> hey, if between two o'clock and four o'clock, yeah. all of a sudden people walked across You're, the road. The whole staff and FCS is crossing the road together. <laughs> and we had neighbors come. I mean, it was a great time. We had a, we had a really good time. But like, but again, like it wasn't, mm. they couldn't just arbitrarily say, we want to, we want to cross yeah. like in order to follow their book of their manual yeah. that says, yeah. this is how wow. you design roads. Uh, yeah. they had to they had to justify um, yeah. why that cross anyway so that yeah, that yeah. was one of the funniest <laughs> <laughs> well I love the impact that you're creating even at this scale as we seek to change the system so thanks for this conversation yeah. thanks John mm-hmm. the best way to learn about our economic development work and everything else we do is to come see it for yourself we love hosting guests in historic South Atlanta Coming March of 2024, we will be hosting a two-day immersive event called Open House. Come, meet our team, see our work, and walk the neighborhood. To register, go to fcsministries.org slash open house. Place Matters is produced by Focused Community Strategies, whose mission it is to partner with under-resourced neighborhoods to provide innovative and holistic development that produces flourishing communities and God's shalom. Place Matters is hosted by FCS's training and consulting team. If you'd like to inquire about our training and consulting services, please reach out to us via our website or find us on LinkedIn and social media. This information can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to watch these episodes, the video can be found on our YouTube channel. If you like this episode, please share it on social media. Your support means a lot to us. This show was edited by Tim Rhodes with music by Eric North. Special thanks to David Park, Becca Klein, and Rose Silva at FCS for their work in organizing and recording these sessions. We would also like to say thanks to our partner, Lily Endowment, Inc., whose Thriving Congregations grant has made this podcast possible. Mm -hmm.